0: This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table.
1: Words of Integration and Guidance by Jim Wallace and Nelson Mandela. In South Africa, in 1987, Nelson Mandela was still in prison and the world thought for good. School children were being killed daily by government police, and the struggle seemed to be at a standstill. I met a 14-year-old boy who was, like many there, organizing in elementary and high schools. I asked him if he was optimistic for the future, and he said, yes. I asked him if he thought there would be a new, free South Africa someday, and he stated to me matter-of-factly, I shall see to it personally. There is simply no other alternative than for each person to see to it personally. I am fundamentally an optimist. Whether that comes from nature or nurture, I cannot say. There were many dark moments when my faith in humanity was sorely tested, but I would not and could not give myself up to despair. That way lay defeat and death. Part of being optimistic is keeping one's head pointed towards the sun, one's feet moving forward. And now we're reading a scripture from Exodus 14 19 through 31 the angel of God, who was going before the Israelite army, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near, the other all night." Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to
0: God. The Holy Gospel, according to Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, also go the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. One of the earliest movies that made a deep impression on me as a child was Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope, which if you know, Star Wars is actually the first Star Wars movie, not to be confusing. That came out in 1977. I was two years old, so I'll let you do the math on that. But as I sat there as a two-year-old in the theater with the big popcorn in my lap and my bottle of milk... No, I'm just kidding. my parents did not bring me to Star Wars when I was two. Okay, but when I did see it, when I was three and a half, it just made an impression on me. You know, just this this universe, right, that George Lucas portrayed. You know, and this uh, story of good versus evil, and this young guy who lives on this planet on a far edge of the universe kind of doing his own thing but then taps into something much bigger and there's this ongoing drama and in fact even within his own family there's a history of fighting for freedom against the galactic empire and we soon get sucked up right into this story in which the rebellion is fighting against the emperor and Darth Vader. And such a film, as it goes along, it implores you to root for what is clearly the good side and to root against what is clearly the bad side and, in fact, to want and to root for the entire destruction and annihilation of the bad guys. If you were a child in ancient Israel, you would be wide-eyed as you sat around the fire and heard stories of life in Egypt the oppression, the hard labor, the slavery, the suffering. And you would think of old Pharaoh a lot like we might think of Darth Vader or the emperor in that story. And you would think of them as evil and bad and needing to be destroyed. And you would get to the part of the story, as you heard that around the fire as a young child in ancient Israel, that we read today. Israel's now enjoyed their Passover meal. They've eaten it in haste and they are fleeing from Egypt. They're on the run and Pharaoh at first is going to let them go, but then he's like, wait, there goes all my slave labor. How's our economy going to work without all these Israelites? So he changes his mind and sends his army off after the Israelites and it's feeling very dramatic. How's this going to end? How's it going to unfold? And then the Israelites get to the edge of the sea. And it seems like they're trapped. And here comes Pharaoh's army bearing down on them. And you're getting a little more tense as you hear this story. But then there's a brief respite and the pillar of fire and smoke separates the Israelites from the Egyptians. And then Moses raises his staff and the sea opens. Finally, rescue. And the Israelites walk across as we read on dry land. But then, suddenly, the Egyptian army is following on that same path. They're also marching on dry land. What is going to happen? They're not safe yet. The Israelites make their way all the way to the other side. And then, God steps in. And it says, the text notes that God clogs the chariot wheels of the Egyptians. God gets involved and just sends this Egyptian army into chaos. And then it says, The Lord tosses the Egyptian army into the sea, and every last one of them drowns. And the Israelites, free on the other side, see the dead bodies wash up onto shore. And ending that rivals Luke Skywalker blasting the Death Star into smithereens. Right? We're usually cheering right, at that point of the movie. And as a youngster in ancient Israel hearing this story, you would absolutely be cheering. And this story remained powerful, and is powerful to this day, of God rescuing His people from slavery and oppression. And it would have been powerful to hear in the 6th century B.C. or B.C.E. as you were in exile in Babylon, or later in exile under Assyria, or in the first century. If you lived in the first century in Galilee or Judea and heard this story, it wouldn't be hard to imagine a new Egypt and a new Pharaoh as you thought about Rome and Caesar. And you would want God to step in and provide the same result. But then one day a man comes along who says, You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, you shall love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. Do not resist an evildoer. What? You're hearing this and thinking, what is this guy talking about? Don't be such a buzzkill. Who let this guy talk? It sounds so unpatriotic. But as he talks, you begin to imagine a different kind of world. And you remember the words of your own prophets who dreamed of a day when swords would be beaten into plowshares and spears, instruments of death, into pruning hooks. The prophets who dreamed of a day when nation would not lift up sword against nation. And neither would they learn war anymore. And you think, maybe this guy is onto to something after all. Our theme for this morning is just peace, just peace. And the question is, how do we get to a, such a place of just peace? It's easy to feel defeated as we look around the world that we live in, we look back through history. It feels like an impossibility. And we hear this vision of the prophets where everyone has his or her own fig tree or vine and there's enough for everyone and people are living in harmony with each other. It's easy to picture that and think that's impossible. We're never going to get there. But we're reminded that just peace is not simply a destination, it is a path. A destination might feel impossible, and we can't see how to get there from where we are, but a path invites us, right? A path begins with a single step. And so we don't arrive there all at once. But how do we begin to walk this path? When the UCC Resources for Just Peace Sunday, they suggested three things. That we remember, that we repent, and that we renew. Remember, repent, renew. And so we remember and recognize some obstacles in the way to peace. We recognize that our own scripture celebrates violence. That this central story of the Exodus has God literally killing the entire Egyptian army until not one of them is alive. The theologian Cheryl Kirk Duggan says, The Exodus text forces us to deal with divine violence. God is victorious over enemies of covenantal human well-being we celebrate that to some level and this is poetic and liberatory for Israel but she says such power and artistry is not helpful for dead Egyptians she says we have to ask is this justice is this justice and so yes as the Israelites are on the other side of the shore as their path remained open And there was a sort of peace that resulted for them. But at what cost? And was it a just peace? Wasn't the God who created every Israelite man, woman, and child in God's own image, didn't God also do the same for the Egyptians? And so we see and have to wrestle with our own stories, even in our own scriptures. That present ambiguous and difficult approaches to peace. We have to learn how am I gonna deal with that? How am I gonna appropriate that? Am I gonna celebrate that? Am I gonna wrestle with it? Am I gonna what am I gonna do? We also have to recognize our own origin stories that involve violence. So we think about our own nation, which was founded as many are, perhaps most if not all, founded out of violence. Violence towards the original inhabitants, the First Nations. Violence towards Africans stolen from their homeland and forced into labor to build up this new nation. Violence towards Mexicans. Violence towards women. Violence towards the other. Again and again throughout our history, we need to own that. Particularly in a day and an age of nationalistic fervor that's on the rise, and where a theme like Make America Great Again can get one into elected office. What about making the world great? What about making humanity great? And so we have to see these stories and recognize them and remember them, and we have to know and remember that our own hearts are filled. With anger, hatred, a desire for vengeance. Who of us in the last ten months has not imagined ill thoughts toward a political leader or two of any affiliation? Right? No matter where we fall politically, we find ourselves getting frustrated, angry, wanting things to be different. we remember, of course, so many stories that form us and shape us. Some of our best series on Netflix, right, or Hulu involve this sort of good versus evil narrative, and where violence is used again and again to solve conflict, and to try to reach a sort of peace. And we find ourselves binge-watching this stuff, and loving it, and rooting it on, right? But then we also know and sense the words of Jesus calling us to a better and truer way to be. So we remember, we also repent. How have I contributed to the challenges that are in the world around us? How have I contributed to violence in our world? And sometimes it's things I've done personally, and sometimes it's acknowledging that I live in and involved in systems that still rely upon violence to operate today. And so we repent of that. We own that, and sometimes that may look like acknowledging someone whom we've hurt or vocalizing a lament for a way of being that we no longer wish to be associated with. And then we're invited to renew, to wonder, how can I speak, act, advocate, live in such a way that it points toward a more peaceful world? Catholic theologian John Deere says, People who embrace true peace welcome everyone. Men renounce sexism and celebrate their equality with women. Caucasians resist prejudice, oppose racism, embrace African Americans, Asian Americans, Latinx, and all people as their equals. Heterosexual people affirm the lives and rights of people of other sexual and gender preferences. People of sound physical health uphold the rights and the equality of physically disabled people. Adults champion the rights of children. Young and middle-aged people respect and learn from the elderly. The faith and disbelief of individuals and groups is respected and honored. There's people who ascribe to different faith traditions or no faith at all. We don't otherize them. We get to know them. Immigrants, prisoners, people who are homeless, the poor, refugees, and people with AIDS are welcomed and their needs are met. And he says, and we refuse the ultimate act of exclusion. We refuse to kill anyone. But if God uses violence, can't we? where it gets a little thorny when we have our own texts displaying God acting in ways that frankly feel immoral or wrong what do we do with that? I can't answer that for you. I think that's something we each need to wrestle with. My take is that those who wrote those ancient scriptures saw what they saw and understood from their vantage point in history and articulated it as such and saw perhaps, as Paul says, through a glass darkly. But I believe we see God most clearly in and through the person of Jesus who invited us to another way. He said, you've heard it said, even in our own stories, it's okay to hate your enemies. But I say to you, love them. And some see the cross as the ultimate act of God's violence. God needing to perform this act of death or of sacrifice so that God would be in a position to forgive humanity. But I reject that view. I believe that in the cross we see Jesus refusing the path of violence in the face of hatred, mockery, being beaten. He turns the other cheek, even as they are putting him to death. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so when I see the cross, I see God saying, You can all do better. I made you better for this. Love does not come by hate. Peace does not come through violence. Here, let me show you. How do we arrive at a world of peace? We see the path walked by Jesus and many who have followed after him. And we take that first step. And when we feel discouraged or lose sight of the path or think that there's no way forward, we're reminded of the words of the Brazilian educator and activist Paulo Freire, who reminds us that sometimes when it seems impossible, you make the road by walking. Amen and namaste. Invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.